Welcome to Clean Break, the weekly life transitions podcast, where we share the stories and experiences of professionals that help families create a new path for themselves. Find all the answers about the many complex questions about transitioning your life through relationship separation, starting a new career, having babies, and many other life transitions. Find out more at mycleanbreak.ca. Here are your hosts, Darren and Tina. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to Clean Break the Podcast. I'm Darren Javag, your host, and joining me as always, my faithful host, co-host, Tina Murray. How are you, Tina? Great, Darren. I'm visiting you virtually this morning or today because I have other commitments and this was the easiest way to do it. So love being in the studio, but still glad to be here today. So I know. Yeah. Awesome. And it's beautiful outside today too. It is beautiful outside. I have a window here and uh, again, apologize. I was saying off uh, line that uh, I'm in a house with some dogs that like to bark at their own shadows. So my apologies <laughs> if there's lots of dog barking going on, but uh, it's all good. We all have dogs, right? Or animals maybe if, or kids. Maybe we, can get a, maybe we can get a screenshot or something. Like maybe we'll get some faces in the, in the picture with you. <laughs> I could, I could take so well. Yeah, no, I could take some pictures of them and send them to you after, <laughs> and then you can have okay. a, we can edit it in. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Well, thank you everyone for joining us on the show today. Uh, we're gonna have a very exciting show. Before we get started, I do want to say a quick uh, thank you to our sponsor today, Dominion Lending. Dominion Lending is a mortgage, uh, mortgage company that allows you to refinance your mortgages and shop around to multiple lenders. I believe there's over forty of them and they will help you uh, get the answers to the important questions of, of refinancing. Should you break? Should you keep? I know a lot of people are a little worried right now with interest rates going up. So they are the people to talk to to help you get those answers. And you can visit them at uh, um, com. Right? Yeah, that's okay. awesome. Excellent. So if you're in the, yeah, if you're in the, in the, uh, in the market for a new mortgage, check out that, uh, that site. Thank you again to Dominion Lending. Okay, so let's get going. Tina, who we got on the show? Yeah, so we have a really exciting guest today, and his name is Vipul, I hope I've said that right, Aurora, and he is a wealth manager or portfolio manager with Asante Wealth Management and O'Farrell Wealth and Estate Planning. So welcome to the show today. Nice to virtually meet you. Uh, we, I, I'm assuming you're out of the Kempfel office, or do you work elsewhere? I'm out of the Campbell office. Thank you very much for the wonderful introduction, Tina. Well, Pleasure I'm to be here. Meet you very soon. We've not had the pleasure, and my office is literally a hundred feet up the road. So we will we will meet soon. Definitely. So welcome, <laughs> welcome to the show today. Thank you, thank you. Thanks for having me. Debo, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. I mean, I am um, working with Asante Capital Management, O'Farrell Wealth and Estate Planning, as a portfolio manager. Uh, and uh, I have a CFA charter and I've been working in wealth management industry for past about two decades. Two decades. Two decades, <laughs> yes. And you don't want to date yourself for anything, right? <laughs> yeah, that's pretty long. <laughs> that's a long time. Two decades or 20 years. Not sure which years. sounds more. <laughs> I know, I know. That's a long time. That's yeah, long time. I mean, I've been, this is what I've been doing. I mean, that's what I have done my entire life. I, I come from a research background. I started my career as a research analyst slash investment analyst um, with many companies. I worked for UBS, Union Bank of Switzerland, uh, based out of uh, its headquarters in Zurich, mm -hmm. so Switzerland. 
and uh, yeah, I was heading their bioside research unit, uh, India location for mm -hmm. a very long time before I uh, moved on uh, uh, to to change countries. Uh, I landed in Canada in 2016 okay. and uh, started my I mean figured my way out which career I wanted to have here. I mean it turns out okay if you are. Uh, working in a wealth management industry, you'll probably uh, land up in the same industry in a different country. So okay. that, that's where I am now. Big change, big difference between India and Canada as far as, well, I guess the industry is mostly online for what you do, right? But so you could do it anywhere in the world, but the living environment and the, the business environment in India, big difference in between there and, and India and Canada? Yes, for sure. I mean, I would say wealth management industry back in India is not as structured at as it is in Canada and US, right? Okay. And my experience, uh, because uh, uh, just because of the nature of the work that I was doing, it was more, uh, say, I was writing research reports. Right. Uh, what to buy, what to sell. I was doing the research, right? Mm -hmm. And taking the decision that, okay, this is the company that you want to invest in. This is the sector you want to go in or not, right? Right. And uh, that, that was mostly on paper backend. Mm -hmm. right, because you're writing reports. Now here, as a portfolio manager, I'm doing it uh, with actual money in clients' accounts, right? So from paper, it has moved to real life. That's that's the main difference. That's exciting though, yeah. right? Taking it to that next level. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And uh, you also, sorry, go ahead, Tina. No, yeah, there's a bit of a delay here. So it's hard, it's hard. So I apologize in advance. Um, Vipul, one of the things that kind of, I'm like, what is a wealth manager? For, so for those people that don't really understand what you do, uh, what would be the difference between someone like yourself and say Darren, who's a financial advisor? Right, I would say uh, you can interchangeably use wealth manager and investment manager, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, if, if you kind of uh, look at it closely, Darren is more of a wealth manager slash financial advisor. Mm -hmm. I would be an investment manager and advisor. Right. So uh, investment manager would be my focus is uh, solely or predominantly on which uh, instruments to buy and sell, right? Mm -hmm. And why, how you should be invested given uh, where we are in economy, in stock markets, what the outlook is, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm looking at stock markets, whereas uh, Darren would be, okay, that would be just one piece of the puzzle for Darren, right? right. So that's investment, but as a wealth manager, you're also looking at uh, that individual element, right? What is a client's personal situation, where they are in terms of their overall journey, and tie that back in uh, to the market environment and everything and put a holistic plan that is uh, specific and tailored to to uh, the client, that right. individual. So th that would be more like wealth management. You will also take uh, insurance and, and financial planning into uh, consideration if you're a wealth manager. As an investment manager, I would look at that, but my major focus uh, is on, on investments. Right. So I always say, Tina, like I, I probably go like maybe like two to five inches down on the investments when we're talking about them, like Vipple and I, but Vipple probably goes, you know, uh, two feet down on things and dissecting them. So yeah, I think for sure he uh, is is constantly analyzing and, and seeing kind of where the trends are and where things are happening in the marketplaces. Whereas I am, I depend on him to give me recommendations for, for people, right? In that, in that regard. Um, so let, let, do you, uh, do you then deal with individual clients or do you advise the advisors? 
Oh, I am, uh, as I said again, I mean, I also deal with individual clients, but 99% my job is to actually uh, uh, help advisor, assist advisors in uh, doing the job that they do. So it can actually, uh, my presence uh, allows them to take uh, their mind off the markets, right? They know there is somebody who is doing this uh, nine to five, right? Uh, uh, probably seven days a week, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and uh, and uh, ensuring that the advice or the recommendation that they are getting in terms of investments, I mean, that part of the, uh, of the overall wealth picture is also getting proper attention. Yeah. One question for you, Vipal. You know, I know the industry itself as far as investments go, has seen a big change, right? Big disruptors have been happening in the industry for probably the last 20 years. Uh, One of the biggest being robo-advisors, do-it-yourself solutions, stuff like that. And and you as a wealth manager and now a discretionary manager, and and, uh, that'll be another question in a second, uh, how do you see the trends? Like I know uh, people think, you know, I can do it myself. Right? How, what do you say to that um, as in your position? Like, how do you how do you approach that? Well, I think this DIY phenomena, it's it's uh, uh, this has just caught on in past decade, past mm-hmm. ten years. Right? It was not uh, before that. Okay. And and uh, a good uh, chunk of it is attributable to uh, this investment environment, the way it was in past decade. Mm-hmm. You know, interest rates they have been heading low pretty much uh, since 2008, 2009, great financial crisis, right? And when interest rates are heading low, your PE valuation or valuations, they are expanding or markets in general are trending upwards. It's a pretty easy environment to invest in, right? right. Unlike uh, very recently, uh, year to date, it has become very choppy, right? Mm-hmm. When uh, we are at the turn of the cycle. So yes, DIY was a very easy phenomena uh, for for past decade. Uh, uh, I guess uh, we'll find out, right, in next coming five to six years, six to seven years, or uh, probably the industry or uh, many DIYers, they are going to find out it's not that easy, right? Investing is not that easy. Right. Once you have to really dissect and uh, for, you're forced to look deep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you do as a as a wealth manager and you're, you're now a, a discretionary portfolio manager, can you tell everyone a little bit about what that is? What a, di- what a discretionary manager is. Well, yes, I mean, uh, uh, sure. As a discretionary manager, uh, I can offer managed accounts or uh, uh, offer accounts which uh, uh, I can manage uh, on a discretionary basis for the clients. Right. What that, I mean, uh, in simple terms means that if in traditional model, every time you want to make a change in a client's account, uh, an advisor need to give a call to the client Right. and explain the change that they want to do and uh, get the buy-in. Right. And uh, after getting the buy-in, you need to uh, 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 document everything and then go ahead and make the change. Right, which is a bit of a process, right? Because it can take months sometimes to get in yeah. front of people. So right. you do it for one client, then move on to the second client and third client and fourth client. And by the time you have reached your, say, 10th or 15th client, I mean, each time, at each step, the level of client service has uh, probably gone down. Right. The markets right now, uh, they are very dynamic, right? You might have to change, you make a change uh, on a very short uh, notice, mm-hmm. right? As a discretionary manager, I can avoid all those steps. I need not to go and talk to the clients or take their buy-in before I make a change. I can make a change in client accounts, uh, say, uh, at the push of a button, literally at the push of a button for, right. or say, 50, 100 clients. Right. So, 
that's that's the discretion uh, that uh, I get mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. being licensed as the discretionary portfolio manager. Right, and that also it, it also allows you to react much quicker and and change multiple accounts at the same time. That's true. Right, that's so true. you could have thousand a thousand clients in different portfolios, and if you update one portfolio for that basket of clients, it automatically happens in real time that day. That is true. That okay. is true. So you are much more nimble. You can react to market changing market situation. Right, uh, much more nimbly as a discretionary manager. Okay. Good. Excellent. Tina? Value added, I would think. Right. Yes, yes, for sure. <laughs> and and sometimes, uh, and sorry, Tina, I'm going to ask a couple questions because I know no, that's great. It, it, it's funny because many times in my practice, I get these questions from clients, right? And they're like, well, it's going to cost more. So typically, does it cost more for clients to work with a discretionary manager or or let's say a broker like, um, like O'Farrell or Asante? Uh, overall, total uh, say cost to the client, we have done that analysis. Discretionary is actually cheaper for the client, uh, whether uh, as compared to if you go through a mutual fund or ETF route. Right. Because, I mean, in, uh, on the discretionary side, you can go directly to stocks. Right. right. You can put your own product together rather than having to depend on third parties for the product like right. mutual funds or ETFs. So if you are not uh, not uh, investing in mutual funds and ETFs, you avoid that MER, management expense ratio. Right. Right. So the total cost to the clients on the discretionary side is actually lower than uh, what you would have on a, on a traditional model. Right. And that's surprising, right? Because I mean, I know qu- quite often you think, you know, it's going to cost me more to deal with uh, an independent broker or have a discretionary manager managing my money. Um, and they be- and many times people believe that you know the prepackaged mutual fund that you'd get at a local bank or something like that would be cheaper, right? So and it's actually not that's not actually not the case. Right? Yeah, I mean it depends. I mean a lot of uh, from situation to situation where you're coming from because yep. there are so many permutation and combinations possible. Mm-hmm. But in general, uh, because you are uh, avoiding right, if you are investing in mutual funds through a discretionary portfolio manager, then yes, it gets very expensive, right? right? Because right. you're paying you're, the third you're layering party yes. the advice, right? Yes. So, but I mean, uh, the, the benefit of being on the discretionary side is you can put together your own portfolio, right? If you have qualified team, and if you're qualified, mm-hmm. and if you know uh, which stocks to uh, pick, right. right, you can put together a portfolio of your own, uh, and, and avoid paying that uh, fee to the third parties, oh, right. sorry, fee to the third parties. Okay. And speaking of um, of, of uh, the capability of what you're doing, I believe you're celebrating a little something right now. Uh, I know O'Farrell put out a, a, a memo saying, congratulations to Vipple. You are one of three, I believe, discretionary portfolio managers in Canada now. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, at Asante Dealer. At, at Asante, yeah. Yes, uh, there would be many portfolio managers across Canada for sure. Yeah. Right, but at Asante Dealer, uh, uh, within this channel, and uh, I'm one of three. Okay, and, and there was more. At one, there was more at one time, though, right? And I believe you were mentioning that the regulators made some changes. So, IRAC, being the highest level of regulator for securities in Canada, uh, made some changes and basically made it a little more difficult to to have the qualifications. Correct? Yeah, that's true. I mean, they, they, some changes that were announced uh, at the turn of this year. Yeah. Right. That made it kind of difficult to hold on to this designation if you are licensed in say less than. Two years, mm-hmm. right, for less than two years, right? But then they look at your qualifications and uh, uh, your experience, 
right, and decide, okay, I mean, whether this person can uh, be moved on to full on discretionary manager. That's I'm just, I'm trying to toot your horn here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, saying, I'm trying to say, you're such a humble guy, like, uh, Vipoli, you're so humble, you know, you just, but congratulations, that's awesome. Sorry, Tina, I just I wanted to say that. Okay. No, so. I'm, I'm really glad you did. And, you know, and really for your clients and the clients, the other clients of O'Farrell Wealth, Wealth and Estate Planning, is that how, what your name is now? Yes. Uh, at any rate, like what a what a coup for, for the company to, to have someone like yourself there and, and, and fabulous for clients. So how does one become your client? How does one be able to access your services? Do you have to have a certain amount of cash do you have to where where does someone start with you oh well i mean darren is the right person who can answer that because <laughs> i mean they they become my client indirectly uh, but they i mean they come to uh, darren first uh, uh, financial advisors first right and uh, yeah there is there is a bit of a minimum threshold for the accounts right so uh, we have say any any account that's uh, $50,000 or over so we have uh, some uh, products that we have put together that mm -hmm. can be used on the discretionary side, right? Yeah. But if you want to go directly into stocks and equities directly, then it's one fifty thousand. Yeah, I know there's a different, a little bit of a, a, a um, different there for accounts, Tina. I know clients really don't have to have. Um, there's really no minimum per se because uh, anyone who wants to come and uh, seek some advice can come into the, the office and talk to a financial advisor. There's products for everyone. I, what I think Vipple is speaking to is on the discretionary side, if you're going to be building portfolios out of stocks, you kind of need a certain amount of money to, in order to diversify the, the yes. investment account, right? Yes. So uh, I know on my side, when clients ask me, let's say that they want a specific stock and, and, and the advice wasn't given about the stock, then they're making a, cho a choice to have that in there. They can have anything they want in their portfolios. But when when I know when Vipple is working with an account, they, he typically wants to be able to protect the, 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 the account. And so he wants to be able to diversify it right, properly. Yes, so, that's right. Yeah. So we want to have... <clears throat> in my brain, wealth management means a lot of money. Right. But I suppose if you look at it the other way around, is that even for those that don't have a lot of money, it's their wealth. Yes. Right. Yeah. Which is as important. Somebody that has 50,000 versus someone who has 5 million is as important because your wealth is important to you. So Absolutely. I guess in my brain, I'm thinking, oh, wealth management, you must only deal with people with really, really large portfolios, but that's not the case at all. No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it is fun, you know, and, and it's, it's, again, that's another misconception in the marketplace because I think often when I'm sitting with people uh, for the first time, one of their first questions is, is I don't think I have enough money to work with your firm. And I, and I, I, I very proudly uh, state the fact that we don't have a threshold, that we don't have a, t uh, you know, a, a floor that people have to get up to. Um, and, and many, many brokers in the industry do set that because there's limitations on, you know, service, like they can only service so many people and they only want to grow so much. Uh, the, the, the beauty I think of the firm is that it's always been willing to keep growing, uh, up to like 40 people now. Uh, so anyway, I don't want to do a plug here for O'Farrell. <laughs> you know, the thing about it is, and this has always sort of been my perspective, even when I worked for a bank and even in my industry now is that it may be 
you, you, you know, you may be small now, but if we work well together and we strategically plan and in whatever capacity, that's where you grow your wealth and you grow your ability to do the things you wanted to do financially. And so I used to always, you know, feel like one of the institutions or the institution that I worked for before only wanted you if you had a lot of money. So when you were small starting out, they couldn't care less. And then, and, and, or they, you know, they could, they literally just didn't care that whatever, you know, you're just a little, you know, little thing here and didn't want to lend you money or whatever. And then when you don't need the money, they're all over you. Oh, we'll give you this. We'll give you that. And it's just, right. They're and, always and willing to help when, it, when you don't need them. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so I think it's really important for people in our industry and like particularly you guys is that to say like right we want to help you build wealth from the first dollar all the way up right mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. i think that that type of perspective that type of um feeling going forward is you're going to work with with people starting and help them grow their wealth and i i think that's a really great perspective to have so mm -hmm. thank you for for enlightening us on that on that topic specifically so yeah that's good uh i have a question um <clears throat> anyone who's watching the markets these days is probably doing so biting their nails and grabbing their hair and being all stressed about it um i know i don't from my perspective i've been in the industry now for 17 years i've seen many ups and downs in the roller coaster effect but right now vipple what would you say number one what is what's what's causing all this turmoil what is causing all this all this up and down well, I mean, uh, what we are experiencing year to date, NASDAQ is down about, say, 23, 24%. Mm -hmm. S&P 500 about 14%. And TSX, that is your Canadian index, is down about 3%, 2.84 to be exact. Mm -hmm. Right? And and uh, that's on the equity side. And fixed income, even fixed income is down uh, about 10%. Year to date, aggregate bond markets, both in US and Canada. Right? right. So this kind of a drawdown, uh, especially in the bond markets, is unprecedented. It was never seen before. Right. Most people don't think of a fixed income as going down. It's something that just stays flat or goes up. Okay. Right. So. Right. so we have been highlighting this risk because of this ultra loose monetary policies and extremely low interest rates. Fixed income uh, as an asset class was pushed to a corner whereby, I mean, from being called or traditionally known as risk free return, uh, it's now return free risk kind of a, an asset class. Right. Uh, so that's how it has become. And, uh, uh, <laughs> true. <laughs> I gotta write that down. <laughs> so that, that, that's how we began to see it, right? right. And and, uh, and uh, we, we uh, uh, gravitated or kind of moved towards those pockets within the fixed income, which are um, either less, uh, uh, say were less susceptible mm -hmm. to this kind of a downdraft that we are seeing right now right uh, or uh, somewhat shielded from that right so mm -hmm. what we are seeing right now is actually just just uh, the turn of cycle uh, interest rate cycle right we were historically i mean for past 10 years interest rates have been heading one way down right right In, most of the times right but now uh, they have started to move up right and uh, uh, markets are kind of realizing that uh, Federal Reserve, uh, each time they tried to hike interest rates earlier, markets threw a tantrum, and then Federal Reserve central banks, they decided, okay, take a pause, right? Uh, we are not gonna hike anymore. And they ended up actually reducing interest rates uh, a short while after, right? Right. Markets right now at uh, that juncture where they're kind of realizing 
this this can no longer be the case because inflation where it is right now. Right, you can't hold Six, it back anymore. 6.7% in Canada, 8.5% in the US, right? right? So we are in kind of an environment where our your interest rates are rising, inflation is rising. And whenever there is a start of interest rate hike cycle, markets, they throw a tantrum. That's something that we saw. Right, right. right. And But uh, once uh, your uh, markets, they begin to realize that, okay, what is the policy path? Or is Fed is going to uh, increase uh, interest rates at a much faster pace and, and uh, probably much higher than they had anticipated, mm-hmm. right? But, uh, or it's going to be lower or slower than right. expected, right? So the policy path right now is, is markets are trying to uh, figure out what the policy path is going to look like. Once they figure out, everything is going to level out. What I think is right now we are in an environment, rising interest rates, rising inflation. We are very soon going to transition from this environment to rising interest rate and falling inflation or probably even leveling off inflation. Right. Once that happens, right, that will be a reason for markets to take a pause and think, okay, maybe we have overdone this. Mm-hmm. Uh, they always overdo. Markets always overreact. Overreact, yeah. yes. And and the Fed and and the Bank of Canada are they they are trying to slowly make changes and then allow the impact to happen as compared to some previous years where they just said let's just crank up the interest rate, but then it stalls the economy and then they have Armageddon like a bit of a like a blow up of the markets, right? Where I find this year they're trying to baby step their way back to the market so that they don't overcorrect. Would that be a fair statement? Yeah, but I would say at least in um, their uh, uh, messaging. Right. Right. Yes, that's a fair statement in the messaging because what I would like to believe that central banks uh, over past uh, several decades, they have gotten smarter. They have seen the impact of uh, uh, how they impact right, right. markets when they uh, hike interest rates. Right, so they know what is the effect, mm-hmm. right, and they want to balance out those risks with uh, other objectives on the uh, economy side, real economy side, which they want to achieve, mm-hmm. which is your price stability. You cannot have inflation run kind of uncontrolled at um, what eight, nine, ten percent. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So you have to uh, increase interest rates and uh, cut demand or so kind of curtail demand. Right, right. Now, part of the thing is, is and people uh, might not know this, but when interest rates go up and the markets react the way they do, what is the fundamental reason for that? Like, why would interest rates going up affect companies? Yeah, so it's, it's a bit technical in nature. It's the discount rate. Right. Right. So discount rate is, uh, is uh, you have a stream of cash flows. Right. right? And that stream of cash flows uh, it's, it's different for different companies. Right. Right, and it's uh, uh, and and the way they are distributed is also different. For growth companies, it's more towards in the future. For established companies, okay, it's more kind of steady stream of cash flows that right. they are expected to earn. Right, and when interest rates go up, all that future cash uh, stream, right, uh, typically in valuation is, is discounted back to its present value. Right, so it gets more expensive for companies. Correct. Tomorrow. When interest rates go up, those discount rates, they right. go up. That means your valuation levels, they have to come down. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's how it reacts. Your PE multiple, one way to look at it. Right. And those those multiples or those valuation levels, uh, they, they contract. That's right. what we are seeing right now. So what we're seeing in the markets right now with people selling is really not a fundamental part of whether or not businesses are profitable or not. It's just people worried about 
the businesses potentially not being able to either either a make money or b pay for their loans is that correct yeah i mean that's okay. stock markets and economy i mean they uh, tend to uh, move in tandem of a, over a long period of time but right. in short period of time no because <clears throat> if you look at economy right now unemployment is what 5.2 percent probably lowest in canada right. 3.6 percent i mean lowest that you uh one of the lowest numbers you would have seen in the us right unemployment so uh, People, it's easy if you are looking uh, for a job in the markets right now, easy to find a job or to get that uh, pay rise, right? Right. Right. So economy I mean, as such and, and, and uh, uh, your economic growth at about GDP growth, about 4% or so, is still above trend, right? Probably right. Slow down, slowing down a little bit from last year, uh, but still above trend. Right. So economy is doing great. Stock markets, not so much of right. late. Why? Because stock markets are kind of afraid that rising interest rates, what they are going to do, they are uh, going to eventually curtail the demand to an extent that it will uh, throw economy into a recession. Right. Yes. And, and recession, unless you are in a recession, recession is always imminent. Right. Mm -hmm. What mm -hmm. matters is how far you are away from the recession. Okay. Right. I mean, I, I, don't, I, I think those fears are overblown. Mm -hmm. Right now, uh, yes, we are closer to recession than we were probably six, seven months or one year ago, right? But that that always is the case. You're always moving towards recession if you're not in a recession. That's the business cycle, right? Right. And uh, I do not think that uh, that threat is imminent here right now. So uh, market worries, I mean, uh, they are not really justified. Okay. Now, here's another question. Sorry, Tina. I just... <laughs> I, okay. I'm really... I'm... By the way, Vipple's office is right next to mine, right? And so I, I walk over like all the time, poke my head in and then just start talking to the guy, right? Because he's just an awesome resource. But can you explain a little bit to people, what's the difference between something like you just mentioned, the NASDAQ is down 23%, yet the Toronto stock market is only off by three. Yes. So what's the big difference between the two and why is the market reacting so violently for one and not the other? Uh, it's actually the composition of the index. Right? Okay. I spoke about a future uh, stream of cash flows okay. right? and its distribution. Mm -hmm. So NASDAQ is predominantly uh, uh, consisting or uh, comprises of your growth companies. Mm -hmm. Those growth companies, their uh, cash flow streams are typically where uh, they are generating less cash now, mm -hmm. but there is a promise. There is a promise. They are gonna generate an outsized uh, uh, cash flow stream in in the future. So that's how their cash flows are expected. Cash flows are distributed. Right. A lot of tech companies. Correct. Correct. A lot right. of tech companies. Right? Okay. So it's Nasdaq is heavy on tech technology. Okay. And then uh, uh, TSX is heavy on uh, energy financials. Right. Established companies, old economy companies, resources. Right, mm -hmm. which are generating a lot of cash now and probably a steady stream. They are not going to grow at that uh, uh, high rate as compared to other growth companies into the future. So their cash flows are more or less stable. Okay. So the way rising interest rates impact these two different distribution of cash flow streams is different. Okay. Right. So if you have more cash flow stream, uh, more into the future, you are a growth company. I mean, the impact on you is more outsized. Right. And the and the, the value sector of the Toronto stock market is a lot of the big banks, financials, energy, so yeah. energy and, and financials. Anyone who knows that the big banks don't usually not have a, pro a profitable quarter. <laughs> so the dividends are usually paid out uh, very consistently. Got it. Right. OK, so, so that's just the composition. Can I ask a question? Because, you know, I get this a lot in my industry is um, when we talk about 
fixed versus variable rates in the mortgage industry. And so, you know, one of the questions that a lot of people or a lot of people panic when they hear that the prime, the Bank of Canada is increasing interest rates. And so there is a difference, though, in the markets, right, between a fixed and a variable rate. And they're they're attached to sort of two different markets. Can you explain that to us, maybe in a like a layman's nutshell? <laughs> so uh, I'm sorry. Uh, so your mortgage rates increasing because of your uh, rising interest rates. That... Right. So, so fixed rates are yes. have been on uh, the increase for for months, like in the last year. So my son bought a house last June, which we probably locked in his rate probably in March. And I think he's paying 1.87% on a five-year fixed. And now that same house, that same mortgage would be about 3.87%. So it's gone up, fixed rates have gone up 2%, even though prime itself has only gone up marginally. So they're, they're two different markets, correct? When, when we're talking about a fixed versus variable rate in, in mortgages? Yes, I mean, I would assume so. I've not really uh, kind of said, dived very deep into mortgage markets, but my assessment here would be uh, that uh, uh, when interest rates go up, of course, your variable interest rates, they will go up. Fixed income rates will uh, also go up, right? But there's a differential between fixed and variable. Uh, rates always and and uh, if you have done your cash flows right then uh, more often than not uh, you come uh, on the say say uh, you benefit from from using variable than than fixed income I and mean, this is all I mean, this is not my analysis this is all just acquired wisdom from uh, uh, from some experts like you Tina that that's <laughs> I guess I mean you would be in a much better position uh, to to appreciate mortgage rates and how they increase and everything than than uh, uh, probably I am. Yeah, because Tina, I think one one is the variables. The variable is 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 attached to the overnight rate, is it not? Yeah. The Bank of Canada mm. rate. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So and a lot of people will panic because they'll say, "Oh, the Bank of Canada is increasing rates," and yes, they're connected to a degree with the fixed, but not. It's because the markets are obviously connected, right? But I just wondered if, you know, just if there was sort of any smarter insight <laughs> into it. <laughs> okay. But, um, yeah, I, I kind of threw you under the bus on that one. So <laughs> apologies for that. But, well, that's yeah, okay. That's, that's okay. More about it later. So. I'm going to ask you one more professional question. Yeah. And then I'm going to dig into your personal life. <laughs> we'll see what happens. All right. So tell me what the current environment, right? What do you think is, what do you think that people should be proactively doing right now when they're looking at their investments, right? How, what should they do? Like, what would, what would you give advice on to people that are listening right now? I guess, I mean, uh, right now, most important action is to take is a behavioral one. Okay. Right. Uh, not to panic. Right. Right. Yes, of course, we have been advocating that you move from more growthy areas to value areas right. Right, of the economy and be prepared that uh, eventually at some point, uh, our trend is going to turn uh, mm -hmm. again, right, back in favor of growth, right? Because come to think of it, I mean, what is the antidote to inflation? It's growth. Right. 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 So you, you want to have some growth as well, right? Not just pivot totally away from that, mm -hmm. right? Uh, yes. Uh, until that point is reached, you want to uh, be more on the value side rather than the growth side till this whole uh, interest rate hike 
cycle and its impact on increasing discount rates and and it is by virtue of uh, increasing discount rates its impact on valuation plays out mm-hmm. and after that uh, you go back to growth but that's more of a uh, investment management how you kind of adjust your portfolio question okay. most important thing is i mean you do not want to panic right now okay there's an interesting statistic that i can share uh, since 1990 s&p 500 index has average uh, uh, returned about 9.9% per annum okay okay right so if you had been invested in s&p 500 index since 1990 your average per year return was 9.9% right. right right and it if you were out of markets on one best day each year that return would drop to 6.1% wow 3% one day right and and if you're out of markets for uh, five best days of any given year your return would have been minus 4.1% minus 4.1 yes. wow right just from those days yes just from those days yeah right? and there's about what 200 trading days in a year so yes. which one are you going to pick yeah. <laughs> and and these are best days right? right and and the thing is these best days of the year they right. tend to be clustered together or very close to the worst days right because uh, there's of, a of the markets, up right? and then a down we saw an example uh, last week right s&p 500 index was up 3% and then next day it was down minus 3.6% right. right 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 so these days they tend to be clustered together and if you have a okay markets had a really bad day you panic you sell uh, probably you are also not not positioning yourself for the upside right and and so would you say what would you say to somebody that says said to you right now it's too scary i'm going to go right to cash how would you address, how would how would you um, yeah, that's precisely that's precisely i mean uh, because i'm sure you get those questions like correct. people like people have trouble seeing you know the next steps or the future so they see right now and then they see and this is probably a common statement i've lost $20,000 i've lost $40,000 of my money How, like what what do you respond to people when they say that now if you're looking at day to day volatility and you kind of shrink that period right where you are looking at performance that yes it looks very very volatile right. but you, if you zoom out the graph a little you see the real trend right right so there's a lot of noise always a lot of noise in the short term right uh, uh, but you're playing the trend in the long term right, right? so the overall long period right? right you see that uh, you make money so that's why it's important to hold on not panic right and and when you're in these pools whether you're in a mutual fund or an ETF or something like that like on average how many different companies are invested in these baskets that people put their money into like how many how many different companies are there uh, on an average in mutual fund you would have anywhere between 200 to 250 companies right on an average and and then in an ETF it could be the entire index yes that's true right yeah, which is 1000 1000 companies or more so in order for someone to actually effectively lose and never regain their money again like lost mm-hmm. it would require that these companies all go bankrupt and yeah. yes you get nothing back for it correct yes. so so for the layman like you're saying Tina like what are the actual possibilities that all the five big banks are going to go bankrupt and not give you a penny back of your money right yeah you can think like that right of course they are going to be volatile sure uh, on a, on a, on a say day to day basis month on month basis but i mean if you take a step back and think i mean they are not going away they're still here they have been here for centuries yeah yeah for sure okay thank you for that i appreciate it i'm going to now i'm going to ask you a quick question about on the personal side mm-hmm. Who's Vipul Arora on the personal side? What do you do to have fun? Yeah. 
Sports cars, motorcycles, jet skis. What do you got? Who thinks? Aaron. Oh, Aaron. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> what do you like to do? Well, in your spare time? I'm actually looking forward to gardening. Gardening, okay. Yeah, spring season, right? An excuse to go out yes. and work with yes. on the plants. Right. Is it is it much colder here in Canada in the winter than it is in India? Yeah, for sure. For sure. <laughs> in general, if you look at it. But... <laughs> Here's a question, and I really don't know this answer. Uh, in, in India, there are there parts of India that are cold? Yes, that's true. Okay. My wife is from Shimla. It's a place in Himalayas. Himalayas, okay. Himalayas. And, and uh, I remember the statistics. Last year, it actually snowed more there than in Toronto, than it did in Toronto. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. So it is cold, but not as cold. No, you do not see consistent temperature of minus 20 or minus 15, even minus 30. <laughs> no. Okay. What are the summers like? Are they like, ex like are they extremely hot? Yes. Uh, there's a statistic that uh, I just came across the news uh, in the past couple of days. Mm -hmm. In certain parts uh, of uh, uh, India, temperature is now reaching 122 degree Fahrenheit. Fahrenheit. Okay. Yes. 42, 50. 40. Degrees. So what? Okay. Well, that's so. It's so surface okay. temperature is about sixty-two degrees surface, and other air temperature is about fifty-two degrees centigrade. Oh, centigrade! Certainly. Wow, that's that's really hot. That is really hot. Yeah, there must. Yeah. So and. A question, and then we gotta go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, kids, do you have kids? Do you have family, children here in Canada, or? Yes, uh, uh, I have a twelve-year-old son. And we, we are three, me, my wife, and uh, my son, who's 12 years old, who just turned 12 last month. Okay. How's he enjoying being here? Now, he's, you've been in Canada now for how many six, years? Six years. Six years. Okay. So he still probably remembers being back in India, right? Oh, you, you would be amazed how soon they forget. <laughs> <laughs> he's enjoying being here in Canada then? He's, yes. He's enjoying it? Yes. He loves it here. Okay, yeah. excellent. And uh, and as well as uh, we were talking about clean breaks and uh, life transition. So that's a huge life transition for you, moving from another country to here. Uh, how are you enjoying it? Oh, I love it. You love it here? Sure, yes. Excellent. It was tough initially, but being an immigrant, I mean, you're uh, always probably vulnerable initially because you're trying to figure out everything. You do not know. <laughs> Right. Uh, uh, the culture and everything, mm -hmm. right? And and uh, but yes, once you have figured out, once you have, uh, once you start to understand, right, how it's different uh, than what it was back in your country, right? Then uh, yeah, then it becomes easy, right? right. And and off late, I mean, once you're settled in, then you start to enjoy. Then you really begin to appreciate the beauty of this uh, this country. Excellent. And I know you've uh, recently, as of this year, hitched your caboose to the uh, O'Farrell Wealth and Estate Planning uh, team and are now a partner of the company. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. So now we got you. You can't leave now. No, no, <laughs> no going anywhere. You got to stay forever. No plans. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, okay. We're going to wrap up. Tina, you got anything else to add? No, I just really thank you very much for joining us today. And I'm looking forward to meeting you personally and getting to know you better and picking your brain for information as well. So thank you so much. Hope you'll join us again another time. Yeah, thank you, Tina. Thank you. Pleasure to meet you. Thank you, Vibble. All right, we're going to put a pin in it there for today, uh, folks. But don't forget to check out um, the Dominion Lending uh, online. I've got a mortgage for that. Uh, they are our sponsor for today, and we appreciate all their support and your support because you're tuning in and listening to Tina and I, who uh, try not to ramble, uh, but we continue to have great conversations with awesome people, right? <laughs> okay. Yeah, absolutely. It's so much fun.
All right. And if you're going through a transition of your own, don't forget to check out the mycleanbreak.ca website. There's more podcasts, awesome professionals, uh, and just, you know, some general help to get you through to the other side of whatever it is, is that might be holding you up. So take care of yourselves, take care of the people around you, and we will see you on the other side of the mic. You've been listening to Clean Break, our weekly podcast on life transitions. You can find more topics like today's and other great advice from life transition professionals at mycleanbreak.ca, where we upload audio, video, and blog content every week. mycleanbreak.ca has clear and simple advice from trusted local professionals to help you get to the other side of any transition. 